0: Um, we had just started our study through 2 Corinthians last week, and uh, if you missed that portion, we'll, we will be putting that up on our, uh, on our website, also through our Spotify. So if you miss any sermons, you can catch them. Um, and also, just a little bit of business, we did also just get Elon Musk's satellite internet um, equipment. So it, it's, it's at the church. We are just waiting on a couple brackets so we can put it up so that we can have high-speed internet, and uh, we might even be able to, at some point, be able to live stream the sermons, so that way if you miss them or you're traveling or anything like that, you can, uh, you can tune in and kind of feel like you're part of the family. However, uh, I, I will also add that it is not a replacement of actually being here with the family. There is something supernatural and extra about being face-to-face. Paul wrote about this a lot. He said he wished that he could be face-to-face with fellow believers so that he could impart a spiritual gift of common faith. And it's just, there's something missing when you're not actually here. Amen? Have you, have you felt that? I mean, even if you watch the sermons or listen to the sermons or listen to the music or call people on the phone or text, it's just not the same is actually just being here. There's just something extra and supernatural about it. So, um, And also, I, h- how are you left-siders enjoying the new chairs? Great. We ordered those about like six months ago, but they've been off of the coast of California, I guess, for those six months doing God knows what. Um, <laughs> But they are now finally here, and uh, we are excited about that. God has just blessed and provided for us as a church. And, you know, thank you for for your giving, and thank you for your participation in this church body. Um, It is a blessing. So uh, let's say a word of prayer, and then we'll dig into God's word and let him speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for not leaving us here alone. Thank you that you have given us direction that you have given us sufficient guidance for all we need to know about salvation and how to live righteously and how to pursue you and follow you and do your will. God, we just ask that you would speak to us now by your Holy Spirit in your word, that you would guide us in all things, even the the little social things that um, we sometimes disregard as important, Father, you, you give us instruction for. And so I just ask that you would help us to not just hear your words, but to put them into practice. And Father, just guide us now this morning. May these words be your words and not mine. We want your will. We want your kingdom. We want your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so after the introduction, after Paul uh, introduces in his common way, he then moves to talk about something uh, little peculiar. It's kind of a peculiar beginning, but it seems to be a continuation of an issue that the Corinthian church was having with Paul and that Paul's opponents were having. And so Paul just immediately jumps to this topic and this issue and gets it out in the open so that they can deal with it. And I kind of like that. I'm, I'm kind of that way. If, if I have an issue with you or I feel like there's a tension between us or an issue between us, I like to just come and even awkwardly just say, hey, we have an issue, we need to work it out, or what's up with this, or what's up with that? I hate beating around the bush, and I hate, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. It's like, hey, if if there's an issue, let's work on it. And so Paul, he kind of does this here, he just kind of lays out this issue that's been bothering him, and they work through it, you know, so a little little different than a, a lot of the letters where he's dealing with some personal issues, but this is not just about Paul, This is not just about the church at Corinth. I believe this is for all believers at all time, that God gives us, if you will, uh, a blueprint or a list of ways that we can deal with the same issue in our life. And the issue we're going to find is that people have been casting false perceptions upon the character of Paul. Now, has anybody ever in your life tried to uh, slander your character from afar or tried to uh, project a, a false perception about you to people that you care about. Raise your hand if, if you can relate to that in your life. Perhaps maybe even they're doing that right now, and maybe you don't even know about it. But either way, a majority of us have dealt with this or are dealing with this, and the awesome thing is the Bible has a prescription for the way we're supposed to handle these type of situations. And I just love that about God, is that even a situation like that, God gives us an example. It's not a direct instruction, but rather through watching the way that Paul writes to them and the things that he talks about, we can glean from that three ways that we can correct false perception about us. And so the three things that I see in verses 12 through chapter 2, verse 4, are number one, Paul provides a testimony of conscience. In other words, he shares his heart, his deepest heart in ministry and his deepest desire with the people at Corinth. So that's the first thing we're going to look at. Second is he directly refutes the false accusation. And then number three, he offers a clear explanation for the situation that uh, he's referring to in this text. So starting in chapter 1, verse 12, Paul continues, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand that as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us. As we will boast of you. Okay, so he begins his apologetic or his defense of his character by providing his testimony of conscience. And what we're going to find is that his opponents in the faith, or the people who didn't like him much, were starting to point out the fact that you remember how Paul said he would come through here a couple different times and then he changed his plans? Yeah, Paul's not that reliable of a guy, and and as a matter of fact, he probably doesn't like us very much. So this was the general idea of what they were saying about Paul, and you're going to see that later on. But in order to try and reach them and try and correct this misperception, he began by providing a testimony of his conscience. In other words, he's sharing his heart of ministry. And he has done this before. We read this all through his first letter, 1 Corinthians. He, he shares his heart often, but we're going to find that they didn't have a full understanding or maybe they were ignorant of of what his heart was. But it's interesting he begins by sharing his heart. And I think that's so important, that there's so many surface-level things that happen in our life that it's so important that we do our due diligence to figure out what the heart of the matter is, and as we're fellowshipping with one another to look beyond the, the flesh beyond the temporal and look into the heart of each person. Because that matters. A person's true heart and intention versus how it materializes. Because how many times have you had good intentions and you've really set out to do the right thing, but your flesh gets in the way, you, you know, on, on Unknown circumstances come up, things that just kind of don't help you materialize what you want to do. And this happens in parenting. This happens in pastoring. This happens in general fellowship uh, with your spouse. You have great intentions, but just you're not able to do it. So it's very important that in our relationships we do share a testimony of conscience. So he begins by saying... His testimony of conscience, he behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Now consider this for a moment, that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. This means that he was an intellectual. He was an academic. He knew the scripture very well. He could go toe-to-toe with any of the academic giants, both in the Greek world and the Hebrew world. He was a well-learned man. So he could have stood up there, and he could have used big, grandiose words. He could have made big presentations and deep arguments. But when he came to Corinth, his heart's desire was to come with simplicity. And this is not a blueprint for all things, because sometimes God does want us to come with intellect or academic teaching. But in this specific case, Paul was called to bring the simplicity of the gospel. Why was this? Well, because you think about the people in Corinth. You think about the Greeks. The Greeks prided themselves on wisdom, on philosophy. They had some of the greatest philosophers of whom their philosophy we still follow today or observe today in Western society. But he didn't want to be in that arena with them. He wanted to bring the simple gospel and the power of God. He wanted to shake up their world, shake up their worldview, and present the gospel in a way in which they would receive it. And apparently this was in a simple way. 1 Corinthians, he wrote in his first letter, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, he wrote, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Paul knew that they had a problem with relying on man's wisdom, that they prided themselves on this. And he knew that in order for them to truly be reached and to be changed, they needed to rely on God's wisdom, God's power. And so that's how he ministered in a simple, straightforward, and powerful way. He also ministered in godly sincerity. You know, some people will practice ministry or practice righteousness because of an ongoing guilt in their life. In fact, you know, Brittany kind of alluded to this as she was going through the motions, but she wasn't really... Genuinely doing it for the right reasons, and it took her trip to, to Greece to figure that out. And it's funny enough that this letter takes place ultimately in the same place that she was woken up. But some people aren't actually sincere in their ministry work. But Paul, he wanted to make sure that they knew that he wasn't in it for selfish reasons. He wasn't doing it out of feelings or monetary gain or or fame. He wasn't doing it for selfish desires. He was doing it because he genuinely wanted to see lives change because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He genuinely wanted to see God glorified through people throughout the world coming to believe in Christ. He knew that Christ is the only way and that was his sincere desire in ministry and so he came with simplicity he came with sincerity he came not with earthly wisdom but by grace and he was see- he was seeking god's wisdom which is ultimately saturated in grace consider what james writes in james 3:17 he says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So he came with simplicity, sincerity, God's grace. And he says that he did this exceptionally so towards them. So in all these ways, he was, he was exceptionally applying these things to them in his ministry. And so this was his heart. He wanted to reiterate, this was my heart when I came to you. This is what I care about. I care about you guys believing in Christ. That you understanding that my desire to serve Christ in you is is sincere. And also... That it's by God's grace, that I want God's grace to be poured out to you, and every time I visit, every time I share the gospel with you, every time a demonstration of God's power happens, this is my desire is that God's grace will be poured out onto you, and you will receive and believe it and feel it. But then he says that they had a, a partial understanding that they only kind of partially understood his heart. And so here he is again reiterating this because they only partially understood. And sometimes with people, you might sh- you might bare your heart to people. You might get together with somebody over coffee and and you just really share your heart and even through tears. I mean even the testimony this morning that was shared through tears. We might a month from now forget their heart as they have shared it. And they might again as you invite them over for a meal as you open up your home and they come and you you sit down and you enjoy a meal with them, you might need to hear their heart again. Maybe you only partially heard. Maybe you only partially understand. Maybe you need to dig deeper and figure out some of the the core issues. You know, figure out the, the deep parts of their heart and what they, what God is calling them to do. I think that's true with all of us. I mean, we as much as I, I really try to be an active listener with my wife, as I was sharing last week, and you know, i go through all those nine steps of active listening, as much as I really set out and I intend to do it, and my heart's desire is to honor my wife by listening to her, sometimes I miss some details. Sometimes I miss the point of her heart and what she's trying to share. And in that way, she could say, babe, were you even listening? Yes, but I, I only partly understand. <laughs> Help me understand fully, you know, tell me again. So uh, through repetition, sometimes we, we need to do that in order to share. So I'd, I would ask the, the wives that you would be gracious with your husbands, because many of us, if your husband is a good-willed man, he does want to hear your heart. We're just kind of Neanderthals sometimes, and, and we lose focus, you know, we, we're single-minded. Sometimes we can't gather all the information. Sometimes we miss the point. Sometimes we miss the heart of it. So please be gracious with us. Be willing to, to repeat the story again, it's, especially if we ask you, if we, if we just say, I, I'm sorry, I got momentarily distracted. I, I do care. I want to." We wouldn't say we were momentarily distracted if we didn't actually want to hear. What we would say is, oh, yeah, I heard everything. Yep. We, we'd nod our heads and we'd just kind of, you know get on with it kind of thing, but if we actually stop you and just say, I, I, I just don't understand, I, I, I missed it, it's because we care, we want to we know. Anyway, little rabbit trail. But sometimes we only partially understand and we need to hear the a heart of a person repeat it, and that's just normal. Paul hears repeating his heart to the people that he loves and cares about. And he says the reason he does this is so that they can have mutual boasting on the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, the day of our Lord Jesus is is referring to the coming, the second coming of Christ. When he comes, when he brings the church home, when evil is judged. And his hope is that on the day of the Lord, when the church is raised up with him in the air, that when we are standing before Christ, that we will boast of one another and the love that we had for one another, that we will not let the sun go down on our anger towards another brother, but rather we will lay it out there on the table and we will deal with it so that we have on feelings of each other, so that we boast of each other when we're talking about each other with other believers that we would have good things to share, that it wouldn't be a negative but a positive about one another, an encouraging word, a confirming word And that should be our aim with every believer. If you have a believer in your life that it's hard for you to talk good about, perhaps that's an indication that you need to come together and have a conversation so that your hope will be when you stand before the Lord and you're raised in in the air with him that you will boast of your brother. You'll be glad to see them rather than, oh, they made it. Oh, Oh, now I've got to spend eternity with them no our hope should be that i hope we get to spend eternity together especially when all of our negative idiosyncrasies are gone when we're all perfect before him and so this was really paul's desire and so one way that we can correct false perceptions is that share your heart with people just lay it out there tell them this is my modus operandi. This, this is how I operate. This is what I care about. This is my conviction. This is my calling. This is why I do what I do. And I do it because I love you. I do it because I want you to be built up. I do it because I want us to be able to boast about one another. Then he moves on to the, uh, the second way that we can correct false perceptions or misunderstandings about one another. Next is directly refute false accusations or defend your character. So a lot of times with false perception comes an accusation. Now some people might say, well, you know, you you don't want to run around just defending yourself all the time, then you look like you're like, you know, always defensive and and everything, and people will accuse you of, of being too defensive, right? But if there's a false accusation, especially if that false accusation is circulating among people that you care about, and they're beginning to develop a negative perspective of you, or you can sense that your relationship is, is changing because that false accusation or that perception is, is spreading, it is important that you step in and you directly confront that accusation. Okay, so here he goes, uh, verse 15. He says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, so two visits, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, uh, Silvanus and Timothy and I, Was not yes and no, but in in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So it's a fact that our Plans don't always materialize. How many of you are planners? How many of you get great delight out of at the beginning of the month or before the beginning of the month, opening up your calendar and just looking at what's ahead, looking at your phone, looking at all the things going on and filling up your calendar? making a plan, having a plan, having an itinerary for what you're doing. And how many of you like if you're if you're going on a trip or anything like that, you love to just list out an itinerary of every single detail. I know there's a lot of you and very interesting that a majority or exclusively it's women. I don't know if there's anything to that. Any men out there you you love you love okay, we got we got one, we got two. Yes. There's a few men, a little less willing to uh, admit it, but uh, women love to admit it. Uh, But there's a lot of us, men and women, uh, who do like to organize to the excruciating detail and to make a plan. Now, how often does everything on that calendar go exactly and according to plan? Never. How often do you have to adjust things as you go? Or move appointments, all the time. I mean, our plans don't always material uh, materialize. In fact, you know, I think this is kind of why God laughs at our plans, because you know sometimes our intention is yes, but sometimes the result is no. Because with our plans they don't always materialize, but with God's plans, as Paul is alluding to, God is a God of yes, meaning when He says it, it happens. The promises that God makes happens. He is a God of yes. Unfortunately, because of our flesh, sometimes we are a people of no. Oops, sorry, no. I can't make it. Sorry, something came up. Can't do it. Sorry. I intended to, but I'm, I'm sorry. It's just a part of who we are. And as we follow Christ the best that we possibly can, we become more and more a people Of yes but sometimes we become a people of no and so this requires that we have some grace and understanding with one another that we understand the fact that we aren't God as much as we try and be like his son we are not God and we make mistakes things come up and so in this case Paul is trying to explain and directly refute the fact that he's not talking out both sides of his mouth when he makes commitments He has every intention to follow through, but sometimes things come up. Like he's not just trying to appease people in the moment. Oh, hey, you want to come over for dinner afterwards? Oh, that sounds great. Let's do it. And then as soon as he leaves, they're like, I don't want to go to that dinner. Hey, let's come up with an excuse, you know. That's not the way that Paul operated. He actually took careful time to think about what he was doing. He took time to plan his missionary journeys. He fully intended to go visit... um, the Corinthian church before and after Macedonia. He fully intended to do this, but apparently it didn't materialize. And so the accusation from his opponents, ultimately, is they wanted to label him as the kind of guy who talks out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't follow through. He vacillates. He's a fundamentally unreliable. You can't rely on Paul. If he says he's going to be there, he probably won't be there. All right, so they wanted to label this as part of his character, that he's not a guy you can really trust or rely on. And by the way, he probably doesn't even really love you or else he'd make the time to be with you. Now, maybe you can relate to this in your own life where you have just had such a busy schedule and you really would like to get together with somebody for dinner, but just, it just fills up and you just can't do it. You just can't do it, but you really want to. And you have to, unfortunately, tell somebody at, we just can't do dinner this month. I'm sorry. And then perhaps they feel a little crushed, a little down. And then maybe you start to get the sense that they're disappointed in, in you as a friend. That there's, no, there's no grace there about, about that, that they feel like you, you hate them. Well, this was kind of how the Corinthian church was feeling. Because many of them did love Paul, even though some of them were his opponents. and did not love him. These are the ones who were who creating the issue. You know, uh, it, it is a, anybody follow politics, I hope not too closely, because uh, it'll drive you mad. I've been down that uh, rabbit hole before, and it's a, it's a deadly pit of ugliness and sourness and bitterness and anger and frustration, and I encourage you, if you've fallen into that pit, to ask God to pull you out. You know, it's one thing to know about what's going on. It's another thing to be consumed and obsessed by it, to be driven by it, that, that you think that through politics you can somehow bring people to the gospel. No, it's through the gospel that you bring people to Christ. Rely on the gospel. But if anybody pays any attention to politics, we know that the dirty tricks that they do is that they try and paint the false perception of their opponent so that people view them as a horrible, evil, wicked person. But for example, if there's a natural disaster somewhere and the president comes to visit the natural disaster, the opponents will say something to the effect of, well, he should be in Washington taking care of X, Y, and Z. Why, why is he spending his time over here? Well, if, then if he doesn't go to the natural disaster, they'll say, well, yeah, he's a heartless cow and he, he just doesn't care about these people. So, I mean, you can flip anything, any side of the coin, and people do this with each other. If you have an opponent in the faith, they're going to look for something that they can use to paint a negative picture about you. It might even be the smallest thing. But they'll, they'll spread this perception amongst people, and it's a tactic that people like to use. But Paul, when this was happening to him, he defended his character. So before ever explaining or making an explanation for what he did, he defends his character. It's not wrong to defend your character as you know it. Again, it, it's good to lead off with the fact that I'm not perfect. I make many mistakes, you know, and I, 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 I try to apologize for all of them. I'm not perfect, but, but here's what I do know of my character based off of what good people have told me. And he, say, he says, as surely as God is faithful, so he's essentially putting God on the stand on his behalf. If God is faithful, then these things are true. So in other words, if these things are not true, God is not faithful. So, I mean, he's putting God's reputation on the line. And if, if he is lying, then he's essentially blaspheming God's character. So this is the seriousness of what he's saying. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. I have told you yes. I have told you no. But we don't vacillate on, on everything. And then he says, our, our word to you was a Christ, who is always yes. We preached Christ. That's what we cared about. Christ's promises are always, yes, they are always fulfilled. Now, some people might claim that, well, God vacillates. You know, God said he'd do this, but then he waited 2,000 years before he did it, right? Well, he still did it. He said, soon, and God owns the definition of soon, and apparently it's beyond 2,000 years. Here we are still waiting. Soon I will come back. Whoo, that's a long soon, Lord. But it hasn't shaken our confidence about the fact that he will come back. You know, we don't know the definition of soon in God's eyes, but we do know that he will come back because we know his character. You know, same with a good friend who says, we got to do lunch. A couple months go by, yes, I really want to do lunch, but I just haven't been able to. You know you'll eventually get to it. You know your good friends. You know their heart. You know that they want to. You know their life. You know that they're busy. You know that things happen. But if we think about God and his fulfillment of promises, they didn't always happen when we wanted them to, and they didn't always happen the way we wanted them to. But they do happen. In fact, they happen way better than the way that you wanted them to. And we see that, and we know that, and so we trust him. But it happened. So if you're going to be a person of your word, you might have to change your plans, but ultimately follow through. And I would say especially parents with your kids, it's so important. If you make a commitment to your kids, if you have to change the plans, and Lord knows we do, then you follow through another time and you make sure they know that. You just say, honey, I'm so sorry. I really wanted to take you today, but this came up and and I just had to deal with it. But I do want to take you and I'm going to take you. Let's plan a different day together. You know, it's so important we do that with our kids. Follow through with your commitments and your promises. Grandparents, same thing. The same thing is on you. If you make a commitment with your kids or your grandkids, that you follow through with them. It's so important. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And so Jesus fulfills his promises. So should we, but we are humans. The Lord knows that sometimes things come up and we have to change them. But another way to correct false perception is to refute false accusations and defend your character. Last thing we see is that you should explain yourself. Verse 23, but I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. For we stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one who I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish, of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Again, Paul calls God as his witness. And here we see a, blight, a slight breach of etiquette by skipping on human witnesses and calling directly on God. I, I put God on the stand on my behalf. Uh, so for Paul, this was very serious. If you, put, if you put God as your witness, you better mean it or else you're going to get herpes. Um, that will be the, the curse that you'll receive. I'm, you're sitting there like I'm serious. That was supposed to be a joke. Maybe I should have given a little more comedic pause. <laughs> Herpes. No, but do not put God on a stand as, as a witness against you unless you actually, or in your favor, unless you actually mean it. Look at how many times Paul has done this. Romans one nine says, Paul calls on God as his witness to attest for the love. Uh, or Romans 1, 1, 1.9, Paul calls on on God as his witness to attest for the love he had for the churches of Rome. Philippians, same thing. 1 Thessalonians 2.5, same thing. Uh, he would, to attest his love for the people he was ministering to, he would use this kind of language. He, I call God as my witness. How much I have prayed for you. How much I love you. How much I long to come to you. He, this was his way of just urging to them exactly how serious he was. And so Paul gives a detailed explanation here. Of his changing itinerary. And he says the reason for it is to spare them from further pain. Well, what kind of pain is he talking about? Was he like torturing them? You know, was he giving them electric shock therapy to make them be righteous? Is that the kind of pain he's talking about? I think he's talking about the iron sharpening iron type of pain. And if you've ever really just had a, a deep love for one another and you've had to confront one another, rebuke, correct, train, anything like that with a fellow believer, you know that there's some pain that is exchanged. There's going to be sparks. There's going to be sharpening. It's, and it's, it's not going to be uh, a peaceful, blissful thing. Sometimes there's pain involved. And it's painful as it is for parents to correct and punish their children. It's the same thing in ministry if you have to correct or punish fellow believers there's pain and pain on both sides i mean don't you feel it as a parent like you want your kids to make the right decisions you would rather come to them with a blessing oh here's a cookie job well done rather than a spanking and go to your room i mean i would rather give my kids cookies it's happier for all of us Uh, you know god feels the same way he would rather give us cookies as a pastor i would rather give you cookies I would rather not have to meet with you back in the room and and talk about uh, a sin that you're practicing and that needs to be corrected. I hate that. But it's necessary. It's necessary for the building up of the church that we correct one another, we rebuke one another wherever we see sin. And that was the case here. If you read the first letter, if you remember what we went through, Paul was rebuking them about a lot of things. And it was painful for him. He would have rather have come with joy and be received with joy. And so there is pain both ways. And he said he wrote to them out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears, not to cause pain, but to let them know the abundant love he has for them. So the reason for his change of itinerary is because of the state of their relationship. He had just come and rebuked. There's been pain. It was still tender. It was still hurting. And he knew that it would not be healthy if he came again. Because he knew that he would have to do it again. And so he decided to change his plans until things healed up from that interaction. And so he was using his wisdom. He he wanted to offer grace. He didn't want to create more pain. And so he was being gracious. His His reasons were valid, were good. And so if you're in a situation where people are casting false perceptions about you, maybe you have to change plans, you couldn't see people as much as you want to, whatever it might be, and you sense that people are trying to discredit you as a a good believer, as a minister of the gospel, as a neighbor, as a friend, as a family member, I think Paul gives us a good way to address that. Number one, provide your testimony of conscience. Share your heart with them. Help them understand. Refute false accusations. You know, somebody says that, oh, well, well, you're a racist, you know, because you you voted for so-and-so or because you live in this place. Don't entertain it. Don't go off on little argument rabbit trails to say, I'm not a racist. That's it. Don't get all like, how dare you? Just say I'm not a racist. That's all you have to say. They'll they'll either believe you or they won't. I mean, if somebody is accusing you of something, and it's not true, just simply say that is not true. Because the more that you ramble on about it, and here's my ten point you know sermon about how I am not a racist, that makes you look a little more guilty. (laughs) So just simply come out and just say no. when, when I say yes. I mean it. And you know what? It didn't work out this time. I'm using God's wisdom, but I will come to see you, just not now. And then finally, offer a clear explanation. You know, because sometimes people don't want to hear your explanation. Sometimes you'll try to offer your explanation, and they'll disregard it. You might even give the perfect explanation, and they still won't hear it. You know, some people play games. Some people want to hold those things against you and use that as future leverage to get things that they want. But as far as it depends on you, if, if they're willing to give you an audience, if they're willing to actually listen, take the time, if you care about them, to explain the reason why you had to let them down. And hopefully, if they're a gracious and good person, they'll forgive you. They'll move on. You'll rebuild that relationship. But if not, you know, it's out of your hands. I think if you exercise all those three things in such a situation and they don't reciprocate, they don't respond, well, you've just washed your hands of the situation. and It's it's not on you anymore. You've done everything that you can, and you move on. And then, who knows, 10 years from now, they give you a call, They apologize, you reconcile, you rebuild your relationship. I've seen it happen with others, it's happened with me and my relationships. So don't give up hope and continue doing what God has prescripted us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the testimony that was shared today. Thank you for the praises and the worship that was lifted up all the voices lifted up in song, young and old, men and women just in our own lives, just experiencing the love that you have for us and what you've done for us, that you'd never leave us or forsake us, that you are with us. Thank you, God, for caring enough even to give us a prescription for a situation like this, where people might want to defame our name, discredit us, cast false perceptions about us. Uh, God, that you care enough to help us figure out a way to where we can be content in the situation. We can know that we've done all we've done. God ultimately, we give these things up to you. if there's anybody here who's dealing with something like this, with family, friends, believers, God that you would inspire them through your word, to do as Paul did, and to, to follow these steps. And I pray for reconciliation. I pray that opponents of the church that their, their schemes would be thwarted, and that churches would thrive, be built up together in your gospel and that the enemy would not have his way. God, we trust in you. We hope for you. We look for your coming. We know that you are a God whose yeses absolutely come to fruition. And so, Father, we say yes to you. We love you. Help us, Lord, as we eat soup together. Bless the food. Bless our fellowship and conversation. And may you be glorified in it all. In Jesus' name, amen.